Give somebody a hug and tell them something good's going to happen to them. Then you may be seated. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Good evening, everybody. If you had a good day, I noticed the sun came out today. So I hope you got outside and enjoyed the sunshine. And uh, we had a good time all day here at, at KT. And we want to welcome all those that are here for the very first time to the best church in London. Amen. And uh, Pastor Colin preached a great sermon this morning. And he is one of the best Bible teachers in the world. And uh, then Bruce came and gave a great message at 5 o'clock. And Gabriel gave one at 2.30 or 2 o'clock. And it's been a good day because I've been here all day long listening. And so it's been good. Amen. Uh, we want to make one announcement to you. Um, how many know that I'm the principal of the Bible school? Good. At least more people in this service know that than all the other services of the day. But um, I've had the exciting honor to be the principal of the Bible college the last couple of years. And uh, we started a night course for those who could not come during the daytime. Have you heard about the night course? Good. More people have heard. And uh, this Thursday, throughout the month of, of March, I'm teaching one of the night's courses called the God Generals course. And I'd like for you to come and be a part of it. It's where we talk about different men and women that God chose throughout time. Mainly the Pentecostal era. If you want information, raise your hand up real high and they'll give you a piece of paper about it. And um, we study their leadership secrets, uh, who they are, where God brought them from, how God used them, how the gifts and the flowed through them. What they did that was successful, if they made a mistake of any kind, we look at it from a constructive viewpoint so we can learn how not to make that mistake in our life, our ministry, in our future. And so it's a great course for all those who are going to be working in the church or working in some ministry of their own in the future, especially if you're a member of KT, how to stay in KT and function and be happy. Because you're not just coming to a local church, you're coming to an apostolic church that's a bulldozer in London and in England. And so if you don't know how to live in a bulldozer in Orning, you may have a problem. Because about after six weeks you've been, you go like, this is a different kind of church. That's right, baby, it's a different kind of church. It's not a little nice little church on the corner that sings Kumbaya. Have you noticed that? And the leadership here has a vision for the world and to get you trained and taught and help get you going in the church or in some field of labor in the world. So that course would be a great thing to you be a part of. I don't get to teach it that many places like I do here at KT. So I'm here. Take advantage of it. Amen. Folks fly me in all over the world to do it. And I'm here all the time. So take advantage of it. Amen. Thank you for the four amens for the rest of you trying to vote on it inside. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we want you to come and be a part of that in the evening courses for all those who want to be a little bit more heavily trained. And so we hope you'll take advantage of that evening course that's happening here at KT. Open your Bibles if you do have them, which I hope that you do, to the great book of Acts. It is the incomplete history of the early church, but it is a complete story for us to understand how the church and the message of the gospel got started. The book of Acts inspires us to live offensively. If you only live in a defensive mindset, your Christianity will be boring. And if you live in a defensive mindset and your Christianity is boring, then it's your fault. Christianity is exciting if you live offensively. Amen? There should be more offensiveness in you than defensiveness. There's a place to defend, as Pastor Bruce has been teaching, the questions, honest questions of society and people. But sometimes religion... 
And principalities try to intimidate Christians to where they live in a defense because offensive faith scares the devil out of his post and makes the devil worrisome. And that's where the devil should be, always and worried about you and what you may do while you're awake and while you're functioning. When you get up in the morning, the devil should go, oh my God, they're up. When you go to bed at night, he can go, a few hours of rest. Not the other way around. Amen. And so I normally teach, when I teach on revival, I teach on revival in recent history, the last few hundred years. But during these next three Sunday nights, tonight and the next two, I'll be teaching the next two Sunday nights, I'm doing a series called The Charges of St. Paul. And we're going to look first tonight at, at the first and the great Ephesus revival that Paul started. And it starts in Acts 18. And I'm going to tell you the story of this great revival that two men helped lead. And we'll see how God brings it alive to you. <clears throat> the Bible gives us the, the formula of spiritual dynamics <clears throat> by which we're to obey. Not vote on, but obey. Write that down. We don't vote on the Bible, we obey it. Amen. Cheers. <laughs> Voters always make the right decision too late. <clears throat> that should be the next thing you write down. Voters make the right decision too late, like some join the revival when it's over. That's why they say, why do we have to fight? Why is there spiritual warfare? Why do we have to pray strong? Well, you've joined it after all the hard work was done. I'm glad you came along, but you're about a revival late. Well, they'll go to heaven, but they'll always be late on earth unless you catch up. And so in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, the... Ephesus revival started with a little bit of an unknown character in scripture compared to Paul and Peter by a young man named Apollos. It says in verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an elegant man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. Most revivals are built on a combination of labors. Not everybody does all the labor by themselves. There are many things that go into making a revival that is sometimes unknown by those enjoying a revival. For like, you know, when we worked in Mongolia years ago, we were one of the first full gospel Bible schools we built in Mongolia when it first opened. And, uh, you know, I sent my graduates there saying, now respect those who labored before you, so make sure you build on what they've done strong, but you're not the first ones in. There was prayer work being done before you got there. There was labor being done that maybe will never get recognized by men. So thank God for those who have gone before you, but... All revivals seem to have the unseen laborers in it. In this particular story, Apollos is not totally unseen, but he may not have gotten the, the biblical record of all that he did do. I know God rewarded him for it, like he rewarded you too. Always remember, God will honor you for what you do. Man may not get it, but God gets it, and he'll honor you. So don't worry about, well, nobody knows my name. The biggest guy in the universe knows your name, so be happy. His name is Jehovah. I had one clapper on my right. The rest of you still voting on my left. You know, you get discouraged sometimes because you don't seem to get the thank yous or the recognitions or the public uh, awareness of what you've done. And sometimes you've done a lot of hard labor that has gone unannounced or unappreciated. But always remember, 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 you remember. You encourage yourself by knowing God knows your name and God knows where he puts you 
and God knows what you did and God rewards you openly at the right time. If not in heaven, they'll all know it. Amen. He said, but I want, I want people to know, well, you're not dead yet. Your ego is still alive. I want people to know. No. Wrong attitude. You're not a movie star. You're not a popular singer. You're a gospel servant. And the greatest star in our world is Jesus. So quit trying to outshine him because I think Lucifer did that and got his butt kicked out. We want you to stay in with the right attitude and enjoy the fruits of your labors combined with others. And when you get to heaven, God will ultimately reward you, honor you. And when God says thank you, that thank you lasts for eternity. Not just 90 years on earth. Amen. He was a young man, a Jew named Apollos. Born in Alexandria, an elegant man and mighty or learned in scripture. You can't be a laborer in revival unless you know the Bible. See, well, I love Jesus. Well, I appreciate that, but that's not my point. So don't start trying to find brownie points to make yourself look good when you know you've got to be a learned person in the scriptures. That's why Bible school is good. Come to different uh, cell groups and being at this church. Just don't come and sit in the blue scene and say, well, I go to church. When you come to church, be there spirit, soul, and body. When you're in church, get something out of it. Even if you heard that sermon 5,000 times before. Mm-hmm. I heard Kenneth Hagin preach his classic sermon of You Can Have What You Say from Mark 11, 23, and 24 since I was probably 10 years old. We bought the cassette tape that before the CD was out. The cassette tape. You all remember cassette tapes? They still exist, but now they're like irrelevant in today's society. We bought that cassette tape with Brother Hagin and our family, and we played it until we had to buy another one. Wore that one out and had to buy another one. I think we bought probably five or six of them in my childhood and teenage years of hearing Brother Hagin's preach. You can have what you say. I was in my early 20s sitting in the back of Rainbow Bible Training Center for a Sunday night service, and he preached the same sermon again. And I remember sitting toward the back, and he's open your Bible to the book of St. Mark, the 11th chapter. We'll start with the 22nd verse, reading the 23rd and the 24th. And I thought, uh-oh. I've heard that before. But I'm a controller of my head. My head don't control me. All heads are crazy. Unless you renew them and govern them. Write that down. All heads will wander you out of where you belong and talk you out of what you believe. And unless you renew it and control it yourself. So because I was trained well, I made myself be attentive even though my head was going, you already heard this, let's go eat pizza. You're hungry, let's go eat. You heard this sermon before, let's go eat. I said, no, we're going to feed my spirit, you shut up. So I opened my Bible like a good little Christian, attending that service to Mark 11. Look for the verse I'd underlined in three colors. And I knew the verse by heart, and he said the same thing like he always said it. And he got down to the latter part of his reading of the scriptures, and he said, you can have what you say. And the first time in all those years, I got it. I got it. It went from my mental agreement into heartfelt understanding. And sometimes, because we go to church all the time and we hear things, we think we got something, but one day it goes ding, or it drops. So you have to be mighty in Scripture. 
So always remember your faith grows by hearing God's word too. So don't sit there and go, I've heard that. Faith don't come by having heard. It comes by hearing and hearing and hearing, 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 and hearing, and hearing, and hearing. Did you get the point? Not say, well, I heard. That's what ignorant people say and keep small faith. Am I at KT or a dead Baptist church? Say amen or oh me, but both are true. Verse 25. The man was instructed, instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit. Talk about the quality of this young man. Fervent in spirit. Passionate, as we say in Britain. Passionate, fervent. Another word might be bold or offensively aggressive. Write that word down. Or two words. Offensively aggressive. He was fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord knowing only one thing. Only the baptism of John, but he did it well. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And there was a couple sitting there on that Sabbath day. Named Priscilla and Aquila. And that's one of the couples the Bible talks about that worked together in the early church's ministry. So let me take a moment and make a point on this. God uses couples, husband and wife teams, flowing together, preaching together, building together, casting out devils together, building churches together, going on mission trips together, whatever it is, they can do it together. Now you men don't have such a big ego where your wife can't obey God. And I'll say that again for those who went deaf for a moment. <laughs> Men, don't you get insecure or get bothered when your wife obeys the Lord. Support her. Well, I did. thank you for the one amen that's on his way to get married. <clears throat> I know that voice. <laughs> they work together, Priscilla and Aquila did. So make sure when you say I do, it's I do in the three arenas. Spirit, soul, and body. I do in the world of obeying the call of God no matter what it is. Some of your cultures like to put one over the other in a wrong manner or a wrong spirit. Let there be a partnership between a husband and wife. Let there be a maturity between a husband and wife where they can prefer one another as the Lord chooses to use them and flow through them and be proud how God does it. You know, my grandparents were one of those kind of couples when um, they pastored and built about 23 churches together. In the southern part of America where they pastored, some of the southern churches didn't like women preachers. Some of them still don't, but they're losing. And they should lose. And so when my grandfather would take a church, sometimes they would tell him, now, we've hired you as a pastor and we don't want your wife. He says, well, I resign. He resigned two churches that wanted him and said, if you don't accept us as a team, we're not coming. Well, they got real mad, but he stood his ground. That's why all the churches they built were successful. Because they work together in our terms. They have an apostolic prophetic team is what they were together. They didn't call it back then because they didn't know what to call it. They just called them a good pastor couple. Grandpa blasted open. Grandma cleaned them up. That's how it worked. And when grandma preached, you held on to stuff because things may fly by. Especially demons who kind of stuck in the church. Demons like to go to church. If you don't keep a strong anointing and strong preaching, they'll become a member. 
What keeps the devil out of the church is strong praying, strong preaching, and strong doing with no apology about it. Amen. <clears throat> and so when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos speak in the synagogue, they were amazed, they were uh, astounded, and they brought him unto themselves or to their home or someplace they could speak to him and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly or a little deeper. And thank God he received it. When he finished up what he was doing there, the brothers of verse 27 wrote a letter and told those to receive him because he was a great blessing. For he mightily, verse 28, he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, uh, and that publicly, and that publicly, and that publicly, not politically correct, publicly, publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, may we say in our world today, Jesus is the only God that is important. Everybody else, false. Good evening, everybody. And all you watching, it's true out there too. That's how the beginning of the Ephesus revival began. By a young man that only knew in the beginning of his time in Ephesus, the baptism of John. He preached boldly. He disputed. He taught. He was mighty in scripture and fervent in spirit. He began to lay the first plow to the ground of, the, uh, of Ephesus with his ministry. But then he was done. Sometimes you have to remember, as a laborer in God's field, you may not bring the ball player home. Let me give it to you this way. Ever heard of the game baseball? You don't play much over here, do you? America, we're drunk on it. Baseball, you're drunk on soccer or your football, what you call it. But they, they play baseball. And I played baseball when I was in school. And, uh, you know, if you don't know, you hit the ball and run to you know, the bases and get a home run. Some services are not a home run. They're a base run. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes you get up to preach and you can only get to second base or first base. Maybe to third base, but not quite home yet. And that also can be an example or an illustration of corporate labor for a territory. There may be a ministry that you do in a city or a town or a country for a season. But you may only get to one or two bases because that's all God needs you to do. Somebody else is going to come in behind you and hit the ball and run everybody to home. And so don't get upset. Don't be discouraged. Don't be angry when you realize you're a base run hitter for that particular moment or that particular place in the world. Be happy you get to plow. Brother Roberts, I don't like plowing. I like reaping. You don't pick it, you obey. Write that down. You don't pick what you do in the kingdom of God. God tells you and you choose to obey or disobey. And sometimes, let me say it again, God may send you. Sometimes a whole church may do a labor of a certain kind of territory and not see the kind of fruit they thought they were going to see or expected. And they get discouraged. And they say, well, we, we, we did all that work and spent all that time and all those pounds. And, <laughs> and then sometimes the board and everyone's to think, well, we just wasted all that time, money, and effort. Let me remind you what Paul said in one of his writings in Corinthians. No labor for the Lord is done in vain. No labor. No labor that you do for Jesus is ever not going to be productive or fruit-bearing. 
It may not be right at that moment in your eyes, but you're a part of the laboring required for a breakthrough. Punch your ear and say, believe that. No, that's, that's, too, that's too Methodist. Say it stronger. Believe it. <clears throat> so don't get discouraged. One of the big things that we have to face as ministers and laborers in the offensive part of evangelism revival is not always seeing what we think we should see and not realizing that some plant, some water, and God determines the day of increase or the harvest. But planting and watering is just as important as harvesting because you cannot harvest unless someone plants. You cannot harvest unless somebody waters that seed that has been sown. Some of you have been planting in some hearts. Some of you have been watering in other hearts. And sometimes you're the harvester with other hearts. But enjoy all three labors and don't complain. Don't complain. <clears throat> they used to criticize Or Roberts in the 1950s and 60s. He'd come into a town with a big gospel tent, about, you know, 25,000 people. Hold a month worth of meetings or six weeks, however they determined it to be. And they'd have all these crowds and great miracles and people responding to the altar call. And then one criticism that always came to him in those days was, where's all the people that got saved? That's still an accusation. Well, all those that get saved, it's always up to the evangelist to take care of it. It's up to the local church to take an assertive effort to go after it. But sometimes they thought it was a wasted time of money and effort. But when you go back over his life, and you go back into American history itself, you can go find millions of people who have come to the saving knowledge of grace because Or Roberts came to their town, filmed this crusade and put it on TV, and didn't give up when he didn't see everything he thought he was going to see. So don't be discouraged if you bring a revivalist or an evangelist to your town and you go work the streets or however you feel led to do it and it don't seem to work. There's a seed out there. There's a watering being done. Harvest will come. Harvest will come. But when? When God says it's going to come. When it grows to the point, it'll come. Well, I want it. Well, you may not see it in this lifetime. You may not see it until you're older. You might see another harvest in another harvest field. I've been to 112 nations so far in my life. I've been to the biggest churches and the smallest ones in many countries. Because I preach in both kinds. The only requirement to get me to preach for you is you be hungry. I'm not going to come and try to feed you something you don't want to eat. I can stay home and enjoy you. I have to go over there and be tortured. But if you're hungry, I'll come. Sometimes I go to one place and I'm planting. Sometimes I'm watering. Sometimes I get to harvest. I've learned to enjoy all three kinds of labor. And so chapter 19 starts. Everybody still with me? Chapter 19 starts. And it says this. This is part two. And it came to pass. It always comes to pass. Everything God says is going to come to pass. Everything God's promised is going to come to pass. Everything God has showed you is going to come to pass. But make sure you're not obeying your emotional clock or your antsy nervous flesh clock. Let God's clock determine things in your life. And don't be nervous. Stay happy, joyful, and praisy. Amen? Not complaining, gripey, and mm. Because God can't bless that. And God can't use that kind of person. Good evening, everybody. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul 
passed through the upper coast and came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, there were 12 of them, the Bible will tell you, down uh, in a few more verses, about 12 of them. He found some of the disciples, and he said to these 12, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, We have not heard so much as there be any Holy Ghost. He was a little confused. And then he said to these guys, Unto them, what, what were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. And he goes, Oh, now I understand. Paul said, John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, and that is Christ Jesus. He's come. And he began to tell them the rest of the story, adding the, the missing part to their understanding. A part of plowing in cities and nations is adding truths to what people don't see clearly yet. Or they don't have amongst them yet. Some things that you do is because they're missing gospel bits, bits and pieces. They love Jesus. They're holding on. But they don't know how to fight the devil. Or how to sow money and get prosperity. Or whatever it is. Whatever doctor, whatever aspect of it is. And so that's why God may send you there to be a base hitter. To add to them something they're missing. Now notice his question here. His question wasn't, do you believe in the rapture? That wasn't his question. His first question to these disciples, these believers of the way, was, have you received the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is important to your personal life, important to any church that belongs to Jesus. Not all of them belong to Jesus. They say they do, but some don't like Jesus. They like using his name they just don't like him. Because Jesus doesn't obey your tradition or your order of service or how you think. He comes to do love acts of power toward mankind. And when he does them, he don't ask the elders and the deacons, can I do this? He just does it and you all cope with it. And you either accept him or you kick him out. The number one person who's been kicked out of most churches has been Jesus. He paid for their building, and then they kicked him out. He did something that brought them together, but they kicked him out. He said, that's awful. That's awful mean. It's true. How many churches are in London that the Lord didn't go to today because they don't like him? They won't say it like that, but I will. Because you get it very clear. But reverence, they have a cross over them. What do you do? I've been in places when I passed by a pub or a club, I saw a cross in there too. You know, we have all these things. Well, you know, they sing songs. They do of the O2, too. At the Royal Albert Hall, they sing songs too. Well, no. Don't you start giving me your list of excuses to defend something that the Lord's not in. He would like to go to every church in London. He'd like to come and do what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they don't like that because it don't fit culturally. It don't fit in their tradition. And Jesus, as much as he loves you, is not going to obey you. Write that down. He's not going to obey you. And if you're going to be a revivalist, like Paul and the other great men in the Bible and history, you have to learn how to obey God. 
over the traditions of man, how to be bold in the face of religious intimidation, and how to rejoice in the midst of fear and not give up. And he said, well, there is a Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you, there is a Holy Ghost. That's who Jesus sent when he left. Not the elder and the deacon board. He sent the Holy Ghost to be your guide and the guide for them as well. If they'll listen. If they'll listen. He said in verse 5, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Verse 6 is an uh-oh verse. Especially if you come from a church that doesn't like Jesus very much. And if you don't like Jesus very much, you won't like the Holy Ghost who he sent. Because here's what he did. After he talked to them about the Holy Ghost, he said, do you want him? See, any revival will preach a truth and then give it to them, them that want it. Will demonstrate it and help them to receive the blessing and the truths that God has preached or uh, presented that night or in that week of meeting or whatever it is. He said, now that I told you about the Holy Ghost, do you want him? And these, when they heard, that means he had to tell them. They didn't get it telepathically. He had to open his mouth up with no shame in his voice and tell them. Well, the Holy Ghost came in Jerusalem, and here's what happened. And then he goes, do you want the Holy Ghost? And they go, yeah, I do. So Paul didn't wait for a goosebump. He didn't wait for a, a vision from Gabriel blowing his trumpet over his head. He laid his hands on them, which is also a doctrine of the church. Laying on of hands is a power act. Not a ceremony. Write that down. Laying out of hands is a doctrine of the church. It is not a ceremonial act that you sometimes see in certain churches and on certain Christian TV shows. Where they go through a formality or a ritual and they'll lay hands on people. You know, laying dead hands on dead heads produce nothing. For the doctrine of laying out of hands to work... You must believe that it is more than just a formality or a ceremonial act or a part of a ritual. The law of contact and transmission. You see it in the Old and the New Testament. That when God anoints a person, a man or a woman, to lay hands on somebody in a way that he has told them, there is power there to perform something good on behalf of them receiving. Are you with me? Don't ever... Be ashamed to lay hands on people, to get healed, to be delivered, to be blessed, to have something happen supernaturally. It is a doctrine of the church. One of the first ordination services I was asked to participate in, I didn't like it because it was all ceremony. We were ordaining two couples in the ministry in this particular church. My first time to speak there and my last because I wouldn't go back. Some places I'm not going to go back. It's not worth my time. It might be worth their time, but not mine. And so, they said, we want you to lay hands on them. Well, I understood what that meant until I realized what they wanted me to do. It was so ceremonial, you couldn't find the Holy Ghost a hundred miles in radius of that place. It was so structured so much that the Holy Ghost couldn't even whisper if you wanted to. They wouldn't hear. There should be no structure, no order, 
no routine of any church that cannot bow, flex at the wooing of the Holy Spirit's will and directive per event and per service. If you're that ordered, you're in trouble. Hear me and take it. And don't you write me a mean email because I just delete them. Good evening, everybody. In Great Britain and Europe, as well as my country, when things die spiritually, they rely on routine to maintain the prison. Flexibility brings life and unity and flexibility to do the will of God anywhere you go. They laid hands on them. Who? Those that wanted it. And the Holy Ghost came. And they spake with tongues. And prophesied. When the Holy Ghost came, they did two things here. They spake in tongues. Speaking in tongues is normal. You say, well, I don't believe in it. Then you're weird. <laughs> Notice how y'all look. Hmm. Well, let's just call it what it is. If it's in chapter and verse, just because your denomination doesn't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because somebody in your world doesn't like it doesn't mean it's not true. If you find chapter and verse, and we have this kind of illustration of the Holy Spirit coming in many places in the book of Acts, then when the Holy Ghost comes, one of the official signs of His coming upon a person and filling them is the beautiful language of the Spirit that we call speaking in tongues. And if you speak in tongues, you become more normal. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not as normal as you could be. Everybody should speak in tongues out loud every day for their own ears to hear their voice. That loud. See, well, I only speak in tongues when I feel led. Then you must speak in tongues all the time then. The Holy Ghost likes to talk. The Holy Ghost likes to talk through you. The Holy Ghost likes to talk through you and use your voice to make intercession for your own life or for those around about you and all the kinds of things he likes to do. Speaking in tongues is normal. Everybody say normal. normal. And everybody at KT should speak in tongues out loud. And they shouldn't pray in tongues just when they feel it. They should pray in tongues every day like when you talk in English. Every day. Your first language should be tongue and your second language should be your mother tongue of the earth. You should become so fluent and articulate in the language of the spirit that your natural language doesn't even measure up to the fluency you have in the heavenly language. Oh, hallelujah. You go, but Brother Roberts, I love Jesus. I'm not asking if you love Jesus. I'm telling you about one of the blessings of having the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues belongs to you and your cute little wife and your crazy little kids. Don't you give me that. The Ephesians revival with Paul began by asking a few people, have you received the Holy Ghost? You might want to do that in your block of flats where you live when you find another Christian. You have a verse for it. Well, they don't understand. That's why you're there. They didn't understand either. They believed what they were taught, but they didn't know the rest of the story. And if someone told them, maybe somebody in your job, somebody where you go to, every day you pass that little shop, every day, every day, and you never ask the right question. Maybe that's your question one time. Brother Roberts, they'll think I'm crazy. Well, then just prove it. <laughs> Quit trying to be sane to crazy normal people. Be normal according to heaven. 
Be respectful, but be bold and be happy. And they heard, and he laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and spoke out under divine unction. And all these were men about twelve in number. That was the first part that Paul did. Now watch how the revival starts. Apollos came and did some plowing. But Paul came and here's how it started. So you always think a revival starts in, woo! It started with 12 guys who believed in John's preaching. They were open. As soon as Paul told them, they go, yes, and they receive. Now watch part two. If you didn't like part one, you won't like part two. But it's in the Bible, so take it. Verse 8. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for three months. Uh-oh. Take your, take your British pen and underline the phrase, spake boldly for the space of three months. Not three hours. Three months. Say, no, no, no. That's where I'm stopping for a minute. He did what for three months? How did he speak? This is the second thing Paul did to cause the Ephesian revival to grow. For three months, that's 90 days. 90 consecutive days. Paul came into the synagogue, into the city, and whispered to everybody that would listen to him. Is that what he did? No, so you don't do that. He spake boldly. Now, what does it mean to be bold or speak boldly? Bold speaking and bold preaching has certain characteristics to it. Number one, no shame in your voice. If you're going to speak boldly, have no shame in you about the gospel. No shame about Jesus. No shame about the Holy Ghost and how he operates. If there's any shame in you, it'll come in your voice. Bold preaching, first off, is no shame in your voice. Number two, bold preaching has a command in it. It is a commanding tone, not a mean tone, but a commanding tone. A strong, offensive tone of going forward and penetrating, not just surviving and hoping that Jesus comes back tomorrow so you don't have to face Monday. Bold preaching has an authority in it. Bold preaching is motivated by the agape love of God behind it. What makes bold speaking and preaching work is behind it is the heartbeats of the divine love of God for the ones you speak to. That gives you the compassion and the boldness to speak into an atmosphere that may be hostile. An atmosphere that may be uh, very much a rejectional world that you're in at that moment. How did Paul do it? Why did he make them mad? Because he spake boldly. He said, well, if he wouldn't speak boldly, he would have made them mad. And there would have been not much in the book of Acts either. One thing that made Paul what he was as a great revivalist was his bold preaching. He would go straight to the heart of the city, which meant the synagogue was the heart of the city in the Jewish community. And he would speak boldly. Boldly. Now, it's not screaming, but boldly. Bold preaching. Britain used to have bold preachers. I read about them. 
Used to have them. I'm trying to find some. I know there's a few around, but not enough. Bold preaching is also penetrating the spiritual darkness. Bold preaching is the ability supernaturally to penetrate the heart, the consciousness of them that are around you. To push them to an inward point of yes or no to what's being said by divine unction. He spake boldly for three months. Have you ever preached any place for three months every day? Have you witnessed in the same place for three days or three months? This is something that we're going to have to re recover in the days ahead. There are territories in our countries that will not open up over a one night meeting. It won't change in a week's worth of meetings. There are going to have to be people who will be willing to leave their residence and go place and stay as long as God tells them or as long as it takes to make a breakthrough in that town. During the 1980s and 90s in the year 2000, the principalities lost ground in England and Europe. But he came back with a new strategy and he came back with more anger against all of us. So we're not helpless, but if he changes strategy, it probably means how God's going to operate through us to keep the ground secure and to advance the cause of Christ is going to change too. So some ways that we've operated, if it's not bearing fruit, you might want to investigate. Why not? And one thing that you're going to discover in some territories, that little nice special two or three day meetings don't do much. And then you're going to discover too in the future that an individual anointing is not going to be able to take care of some of the territories that we're called to enter in. It's going to have to come into a corporate anointing of the fivefold working together along with the body of Christ that may be in that area of disciples or willing churches and do what it takes to begin to take back what was lost. You know, if you study revival historically, it's amazing what's gained in a generation and lost in the next one. One of the great problems is you don't train your children, your spiritual and biological children, how to keep that which you birth alive and progressively growing. It's part of the problem. Revivals are to be handed off like a marathon race to go from one glory to the next, from one faith level corporately to another faith level corporately. And he spake for three months, every day for 90 days. He spoke boldly in the synagogue in this city and noticed in verse 9. Well, let me finish verse 8. Here's what he preached and spoke. Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, please preach what's in the Bible. I remember I was listening to my pastor preach years ago, Billy Joe Daughtering. We were at a pastor's conference, and he said something that, I, for some reason, it, it, it shocked me and it stayed with me. At the end of his message, about 5,000 pastors, he said, I have one piece of advice for all of you pastors that I ask you to consider. He said, in all your preaching, please preach the gospel. Say it again. In all your preaching, please preach the gospel. It's amazing sometimes what we 
are preaching that has no scriptural foundation, no fruit-bearing observation after you're done. And you wonder, well, did I help anybody? Well, only if it's chapter and verse, and in line with chapter and verse, it's going to work. And he preached things concerning the kingdom of God. And when different folks, verse 9, we're showing you the revival in scripture. When different people hardened and believed not, always remember, in every revival, there's those that believe and those that don't. There are those that believe and those that don't. Always remember, wherever you labor for Jesus, there'll be those that will believe and then those that don't. Don't focus on the don't, focus on those that do. Don't focus on the don't, focus on those that do. Paul saw that there were those that believed not and spake evil of the way before the large group of people. He departed from the big multitude, separated the disciples from those who didn't believe. And he pulled them over into the school disputing daily in a school called Tyrannus. Now watch this. You won't believe this one, but it's here. This continued by the space of two years. So that all that dwelt in Asia or known Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Three months and two years. And we still don't quite have a revival yet. What's he been doing for two months and or two years and three months? Plowing, training the ones that he's going to leave when it finally breaks open, teaching them, showing them, demonstrating to them publicly, privately, in their homes, in their gatherings, night and day for two years. For night and day for two years, he lived among them openly and boldly and did not hold nothing back from them, he said, and showed them the truth in preaching and deeds and demonstrations. For two years. Can you go someplace and leave your British life for two years? Just a biblical question that some of you may need to consider. You all say, I want a revival. Well, this one started out by asking 12 guys, do you want to speak in tongues and receive the Holy Ghost? Then he went into the synagogue and for three months preached so bold he had a war on his hands of hard-hearted people and hungry people. And he saw it was time to take the hungry out of the multitude and build him a foundation for a great apostolic work. And he did it for two years. Some of you are going to have to start letting God give you a different time schedule in your gut. You're working according to earth. And how the culture works. How man thinks. How we think it should be done. Well, some revivals don't come by 6 o'clock. They don't come after three months. Paul's didn't. He had a gathering, but he didn't have a breakthrough. He had a gathering, but he didn't have a breakthrough. But all of a sudden, that's not always starts. Remember, God's time is usually suddenly... And it usually comes unannounced. Once in a great while, he'll give you a date and time. But most of it comes after things have been fulfilled and germinated to a point of explosion. 
One day, at the end of the two years, around the two-year period, all of a sudden, God did verse 11. And God brought special miracles by the hands of Paul. And then verse 12 tells us about those special miracles. So that from his body were taken, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, to the disease, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Out of who? Whoever got one of those handkerchiefs or a piece of that apron that Paul had worn when he was preaching or prayed over, and they took it back to those who couldn't come to where Paul was, and when they laid it on the sick or on the demon-possessed, they got healed. That's kind of wild, isn't it? Taking a bit of cloth from somebody and putting it on somebody's body and their leprosy drives up. Or their disease disappears. And their devil goes, ah, and leaves. Because of an anointed cloth. That's called a special miracle. That came. All of a sudden, God began to do something. According to the Great Commission in Mark 16. The last two verses of that says the Lord confirmed the word they preached with signs following. The Lord working with them confirmed what? The word. Not your opinion, the word. He confirms the word. If there's no signs and wonders following you, you might want to check up on what you're preaching. Because it might not be the word because God don't you know, confirm your opinion or your dead cousin's attitude or your last group of pastor's opinion. He only confirms chapter and verse when you preach it with strength, intelligence, revelation, and boldness. God said, I will confirm it with signs, wonders, and miracles. That's where KT's really blessed. You know how blessed you are until you leave. When some of you finish your time here in London, or your time here at KT and go back to your home country, then you realize what you've been in for the years you were here. I hope you realize that while you're here, so you can drink of it a little more deeply and more, more passionately and enjoy it. But all of a sudden, signs, wonders, and miracles begin to happen by God to confirm what Paul was doing. Now, the revival didn't stop there. It really just started. Now, if you can't handle what I've read to you so far then you're about to check out for sure on this next part. The Bible is not a British book. The Bible is not a Chinese book. The Bible is not an American book. It's a divine book inspired by God through holy servants to give us borders of believing so we can stay normal and right in the spirit and know what to believe and what to expect. If it's not in the Bible, don't accept it. I don't care if it comes with glowing vapor. If it's not in chapter and verse, reject it. On purpose, out loud. But all of a sudden, are you, you, you ready for this next part? I'm not sure, but here we go. Verse 13. The revival is intensifying now. A certain of a vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves to call over uh, them that had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you. By Jesus who Paul preaches. Uh, first off, I wouldn't do this. Not the way they did it. Because you might want to see what happened to them. Because this happened, it's a part of the revival. All of a sudden, 
There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priest, which did so. How many were there? How many? Seven. Seven. Hmm. And the evil spirit that was in the person they were crying the liver looked out of that person's eyes and goes, um, I know Jesus. I know Paul, but I don't know you. And what did the devils do? All of a sudden, the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on all seven of them. Woo! And overcame all of them and prevailed against them. So that they fled out of the house naked. Uh oh. That's bad enough, but there's an end here. Naked and wounded. Can you imagine? Down the streets of London go seven naked men bleeding, screaming, ah! running for their life. They'd be on the BBC News for sure. Seven naked men ran for their life, screaming, a demon's beating us up, help, help, help. That's what happened here. And this was known. Can you imagine it not being known? Seven naked men running down the street, screaming, bleeding. It'll get known. One will get known. Seven, for sure, it'll get known. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks that dwelt at Ephesus. And fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord was magnified. Hallelujah. So, um, this revival had demons reacting. Obviously, these seven boys saw something that Paul had done. They saw Paul cast out devils in the name of Jesus. So they thought, well, we'll try it. Now, this gives us a little insight into the spirit world. Demons know who you are. They say, they said to this, these boys, we know Jesus. Why do demons know Jesus? Because Jesus beat them up real good when he went into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. He fooled them. They thought they had won. And he was doing the great redemption plan. He went into the type of hell there, so you don't have to go to hell. And about three days, the Bible tells us, all of a sudden, he satisfied heaven's demands for the earth, people to be free from having to go to hell in judgment. And it came, like we call resurrection power, into Jesus. And he rose up and took back the keys of death on the grave and put the devil under his foot and under your foot. And the only place a devil belongs is under your feet. Not next to your shoulder. Not having tea at your dinner table. And not sleeping in a bedroom in your house. He belongs facing dirt. And the other side is the bottom of your foot. And then he said, now most of us accept that devils know Jesus. But they said something else. We know Jesus. And we know Paul. Why? Why did those demons know Paul? Because Paul kept beating them up everywhere he went. And got a reputation in the satanic kingdom 
Paul is dangerous. Paul, beware of Paul. Don't go to his crusade because he'll get you. If you show up in Paul's meetings, he'll cast you out publicly and make a show of how stupid you are. Let me ask you a question. Does the devil know who you are? Brother Robert, in my church, we don't talk about a devil. And that's why you've got one. If you're scared to talk about demons and their defeat, I'd assume you've got a couple that hang out somewhere in your world and make you feel real odd when you go to cast out devils or teach on how to deliver people from demonic powers. Brother Roberts, we're in England. We don't believe that. We're smarter than that. Have you walked on the tube lately? Have you been on the tube to see all the demons that play? Who are we going to get today? Hello? Good evening, everybody. It's not 9 o'clock yet. I'm not done. So just say amen or oh me. <laughs> Brother Robert, I went, to, I went to a big first assembly, about 8,000 one time. 8,000 people. That's a pretty good-sized church. They invited me to speak at a conference. And you know, I appreciate the invitation. Reinhardt Bunky and I were doing it together. Reinhardt Bunky got to preaching so long in the pastor's meeting, they gave me the whole public meeting to myself. Because we were going to share it. And I go, you know, it was a simple God church. Now, most assemblies are not like where they used to be. Now, they're good people. Don't get me wrong. They're good people. But some of them need to get rebaptized in the Holy Ghost again and go back to the right Bible school so they believe something and actually can do something. Most of them are becoming as dead like these other denominations out here. And so... They had an 8,000-member church, and that's nice and respectable. But halfway through the first 15 minutes of my sermon, I didn't plan it. Most of the time, I don't plan these things. I just stay full of the Word, stay prayed up, and just have fun flowing. The Lord said in my, in my ear, I want to cast out devils today. I thought, not in this church. It's my first time here, and I'd like to come back. Because I knew, I knew when the Lord says that, it's not going to be a pretty service, naturally speaking. It's going to be glorious in the spiritual view, but naturally, oh, have mercy on our souls. But I learned long time ago, whatever Jesus wants to do, it's better to obey him than your paranoia, fear, or you're not getting the invitation to come back next time. It's better to obey the Lord than worry about all that. So I said in my heart, okay, whatever you want, you call me to work for you, I'll do it. So I took my coat off because you can't cast out devils in a nice jacket. <laughs> Especially if you've got 8,000 people there, probably about 1,500 preachers. And so, I was actually telling my heaven story. How you can go from I went to heaven to come out, I don't know, but we did it. And about 10 minutes after the Lord said that to me, from the top balcony came in the eyes of the Spirit as I saw it, a glory cloud, a presence, begin to roll in. I don't know if anybody else saw it, I saw it. You know, sometimes you see things, you don't always have to draw attention to it, but you see things. And it began to roll from the top balcony down. And the Lord said, when the cloud gets 
to the pulpit, I'm ready. I said, what about me? He didn't answer that. He said, when the cloud gets to the pulpit, I'm ready. And I thought and said inside, what about me? Now let me give you the answer. He don't really care about you at that moment. Now I'll say it over here. He don't care about you and all your pride at that moment. He don't care about your reputation at that moment. He don't care about your brain thinking thoughts like that. He will not answer you most of the time in those situations. When he tells you something, when the cloud gets to the pulpit, I'm ready. What are you supposed to do? Wait for the cloud. So I kept preaching and talking. When it got closer, I rolled up my sleeves. Because I knew in about five minutes, something's going to happen. So when I saw it almost at the pulpit, I said, the Lord told me about 15, 20 minutes ago, he wants to cast out devils today. And he's about ready to start. Oh, in about three or four minutes. So I just want you to know, get ready. Here we go. If you're going to get persecuted, you might as well enjoy the whole thing. If you're going to get, you know, in one of those situations, you might as well just roll up your pants leg and your sleeves and jump in and say, let's have a good time. Why sit there and be tortured? If you're going to get persecuted, do it first class. All of a sudden, the Lord's power came on me. When the Lord's power comes on you, well, something happens to you. I'm naturally kind of bold anyway, as you can tell. But I get bolder. And you get bolder. When the cloud gets thicker, it gets heavier. In other words, whatever word you want to use. All of a sudden, that cloud hit me, and I had fun. I said, all you pastors, start with the big group first. <laughs> that are having problems with devils torturing you, intimidating you, or whatever it is. And you're tired of it and you want to be free. Run down here. I didn't think that many people would show up. But oh, Lord have mercy. That altar filled up with probably about 800 of them. And I thought, are you kidding? You know, sometimes when you're in the anointing, you watch yourself do things. And your brain goes, ah, but you've already done it. You can't stop it. Because you're almost like out of your body watching your body do something. And I jumped down into the altar and began to lay hands on them. That's how I felt led to, to flow. When I began to do that, four or five people down from me began to react too. I thought I haven't got there yet. I mean, I saw things in that service I didn't think pastors could do, and pastors' wives. I saw women claw the carpet and watch their fake nails pop off. Nice, good-looking pastor wives. You know how Americans, pastor wives, have all the poofy hair, nice little dresses and everything, you know. You know how Americans are. You make fun of us all the time. I know, I hear it. Real nice, pretty women, you know, little Barbie doll, pastor's wives. Come down with 
And all of a sudden, when the power got hit them, they fell on the floor. Some cried. Some moaned. Some darted their tongue. Mm-mm, out like that. And I saw one lady try to claw her way away from me, and her nails were going to pop off. I thought, take a picture of that. In a first assembly of God with 8,000 people. That's the beginning. All of a sudden, it hit all over the room. And and it went for three hours. When I got done, I was wet like I'd been in the gym working out. I was dripping, but I was happy and drunk. If you're going to drink, drink all the way. If you're going to drink the new wine, take the whole bottle and grab another one. And go after it. When I got done, I just plopped down on the bottom of the stairs and said, Bye. You want to know something? Not very many people left, but a few did. And one guy said to me, in my church, we don't do this because it exalts the devil. I had enough drunkenness still left in me of the spirit to respond. I said, excuse me. He said, we only exalt Jesus. And I said, you're full of the devil yourself. I said, you think this service today was exalting the devil when we made him obey Calvary's victory and get off and out of people's lives? He stood there and I said, nah, I'm not done. And I began to preach at him all by myself. When I got done preaching about two or three minutes, he broke and began to cry and go, I need free. I said, I know it. So I jumped on him, the last one out. <laughs> Deliverance happens in every revival there is in history that God's the author of. And you can never be scared of any devil. No matter what they do. Don't be scared to enforce Calvary's victory. The devil acts deaf sometimes. And you have to make the devil obey you in Jesus' name. That's how you get, that's how you get a reputation. When you enforce what Christ paid for at Calvary, for freedom from demonic power and oppression, it belongs. Freedom belongs to every one of you. British churches, don't be scared to cast out devils on Sunday morning. Don't be scared to cast out devils in a pastor's conference. You see, is it in me or is it on me? Who cares? The question to me, has it left me? That's the question. Is it, is it in me or on me? Who cares? Did it leave you is the point. You still here? That's how you get a reputation. That everyone knows who you are. Because you know who you are in Christ and how to use your weapons. Use your authority with no shame. And all of them heard these things. And fear came on the city. Verse 18. You enjoying this? And many believed and came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now watch this. The next step of the revival. Last part of my sermon tonight. We'll pick this up next Sunday. Many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all people. And they counted the price of these books and found them to be 50,000 pieces of silver's worth. Verse 20. 
so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. The breakthrough happened in verse 20. The revival began to prevail. It began to have an offensive momentum and domination in the city. A revival is an offensive action, offensive movement. It is not made up of much defense. There is some to a small degree, but most of it is offensive. Your faith is to go take the land. Your believing is to take the impossible. Not to say, well, no, no, no. Well is a deep subject you never get out of. The Great Commission is an offensive commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It didn't say, well, just stay here and hope. No, get off your British butt and go after it. Go after it. The revival Ephesus, this is part one. Sir, by a young man named Apollos, who had found John's preaching to uh, turn him on to the gospel. All of a sudden, he was found in the city of Ephesus. And a young couple named Priscilla and Aquila heard him preach one afternoon. And they said, this young man has a great anointing. But he doesn't know the complete story. So they found their way to Apollos and asked him for some time. And when they got him alone, they told him the complete story. And he believed and became one of the great powerhouses of the New Testament church. That was the first plow that came into Ephesus. Paul was on his traveling journeys. And God brought him by divine order to Ephesus to pick up what Apollos and a few other disciples had been praying and believing and laboring for. When he got to town, he, by divine guidance, I believe, bumped into 12 men that believed in John the Baptist preaching. When he found them, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Then being honest, <clears throat> said, we don't know whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said, oh, yes, there is. And he goes, what baptism were you baptized? They said, John. He said, yeah, that was a good one. But he told us there was something greater coming. And it's come. And it's here for you now. And he laid his hands on them. And they received the Holy Ghost. And began to speak in tongues and prophesy. When Paul finished ministering to the twelve that he found. He decided by divine unction. That his next job was to take his apostolic plow of his gift for 90 straight days he preached boldly in an atmosphere that had not been broken open had not been plowed very deep or very far that's what apostles do apostles plow and create where there's little or nothing in existence they can bring the invisible into the visible realm through their ability and their gifting for three months, he preached boldly, no shame in his voice about Jesus and the message, and demonstrated the gospel. Then at the end of three months, 
he noticed that there was many in the multitude that worked against the gospel. And he divided the hard-hearted from the hungry-hearted. And took them aside into a school called Tyrannus. Where he taught them for two years the gospel. That all of Asia heard it. Then in the middle or toward the end of the two years. All of a sudden. God began to confirm the word. With his not normal type of miracles. But unique and special miracles. For they took claws from Paul's body. And had people take them back to their sick friends and relatives. And those who were oppressed by the devil. And laid it on their body. And it was reported all over. That when they did that. Diseases were gone. And devils left those people. And there was such demonstration of the gospel. That one of the unique things about this revival starting was the seven sons of Sceva. Who wanted the power that Paul had to take care of spirit beings. They themselves were familiar with it somehow. But on the wrong side. But they noticed that when Paul said Jesus' name, that demons left people. So they thought, well, we'll be respectful to Jesus and to Paul. And we'll use both their names because they're powerful. But that's not how the gospel works. You've got to have it for yourself inside. It's not a formula. It's a relationship of power. And they walked up to a demon-possessed guy and said, I adjure you, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. And the demon goes, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But we don't know you, and because you bug me, we're going to beat you up and strip you down. And the demon and that man left on those boys. And they ran out of the house where they was. Naked, the Bible says. Wounded. Bloody nose, black eye, scratches something. Down the street. That everybody in Ephesus heard about it. And fear fell on the non-believers. And on the believers, they magnified God and said, He's alive and He's working in our city. The revival kept growing and the demon power kept losing that 50,000 pieces of civil worth of witchcraft material was brought into the city center by those who used to use it and be controlled by it and they set it afire and burned it and then mightily grew the word of God and prevailed in that city that is the beginning of the revival at Ephesus. Next Sunday night we'll do part two. Can you wait that long? Can you handle it? Stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet. Everybody here that can pray in tongues, lift your hand up in the air real high if you can. Look at all those people in the room that are normal. All right? You can go ahead and play some of our keyboarders are here. Hallelujah. If you're here, can you put your hands down? If you're here and you say, I've never prayed in tongues in my life, can I see your hand? If you've never prayed in tongues in your life, lift your hand up real high. All of the room, you've never prayed in tongues in your life, and 
you never have. Put your hand up real high. Real high. Let me see them in the balcony, everywhere. All right, come here. Come here. Run down here. If you never prayed in tongues in your life, come here. We're going to pray for you tonight and you're going to receive it. From the balcony to the main floor. Come right now to the front. Bring your friend with you if you want to. That's fine. Bring the whole row. I don't care if you're nervous. If you've never prayed in tongues in your life, come right now to the front. In the balcony on the main floor, we'll wait for you for a few minutes. Come right now. If you want to receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues like they did in this chapter, it's available for you tonight. For you to come and receive the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent. And He'll come inside of you in a powerful way and do many things to you. And one thing He'll do is give you a beautiful prayer language. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit tonight, come right now to the front. We'll wait for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. It's not church membership. It's receiving the Holy Ghost right now. Come right now. Come right now. We'll wait for you. They're still coming from the balcony. We'll give you a few minutes. Just come right here and stand. Come a little closer. I'm a nice guy. Come closer. Come on up here. I'm a nice guy and the Holy Ghost is a nice spirit. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming, guys. Come, come, come. God bless you. We'll wait for you. They're coming through the back door now. Come on. All right. As they're coming, we'll do one more thing. I want our prayer workers to get ready because we're going we're to have you take them to the prayer room and minister to them. We're not quite done with the altar call yet. Come on. Come on. Come and receive the Holy Ghost tonight. It makes everybody happier and better. It's a good ghost. It's not a bad ghost. It's a Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. What's your name? Nice to meet you. Are you born again yet? You saved? Yes. All right. It's time to get the next blessing. How about you? Good. Nice to meet you. Glad you're here. God bless you all. Everybody, turn to your neighbor on your right and left and ask them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They can't give a good yes. Come down with them. Encourage them to come. In the balcony, come on. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you ever know more about Him, come. Ask them. You can't force them, but you can ask them. That'd be all right. Ask them. Anybody else? There's always somebody hiding. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Pray in tongues? Yep. Is that a yes? Is that your wife? No. Your friend? I don't know. You're just saying with a pretty girl. It might be. Are you praying in tongues? How about the girl in the middle? Are you praying in tongues? Is she praying in tongues? I know that they've been translating to you tonight, so I just want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Anybody else? All right, everybody ask your neighbor. Pray in tongues so I can hear it. Ask them. So let me hear it. Ask them. They can't do it. Encourage them to come. Come on. Anybody else? You all spirit filled? You all up there spirit filled, Richard? Anybody else? Come on. All right, stop. Hold it, hold it, hold it. All right, I didn't say have a prayer meeting. Hang on, everybody listen to me now. Everybody listen to me. I didn't say have a prayer meeting. I just said make sure they have the praying in tongues part of them. I like that problem though. It's a good problem. It's a good KT problem. You get people praying here, you have to stop them. In, in Korea, they have to ring a bell so they can hear it and everybody stop and they hear the bell ring. Amen. 
Now you that have come forward, look at me just for a moment. Everybody down here in the front, look at me just for a moment. I'm glad you came. I didn't give the, the warm, fuzzy altar call with all the nice things we do to help you feel good to come. I just give you a blunt call to come and I just hold you to come. Because I know the Holy Spirit is going to bless you tremendously. He's not going to leave you disappointed. Now I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to go for about five or six minutes to a prayer room. Be right behind us back here. Your friends will wait for you. They won't leave. The tubes will still be working. You get done. All right? They're going to answer any question you may have about what we're talking about and pray with you again and help you receive the fluency of that beautiful gift of speaking in tongues with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Everybody smile because it's a good gift. Amen? Let's all read your hands out toward them and let's just pray for them as we do. And you receive our prayers tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift these up to you tonight and we thank you that you have never rejected anybody that has come to you for anything. Make sure of Holy Spirit that everyone in here is convicted of their sin and have been born again. But we ask you to come on every one of them and fill them with your mighty power. In the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Ghost and let that language of the Spirit flow out of you fluently, easily, and powerfully. Receive in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. How do you? Everybody look at me just for a minute. You down here in the front, look at me just for a minute. Who we got going? Who's going to, is it going to be you, Pastor? Everybody see Pastor Red here on the side of the hand up. Pastor Bruce, he's going to take you to a prayer room behind this room back here. Your friends will wait for you. So would you all turn and walk that way for a few moments? And I think the prayer counselors know who you are to make your way there too. Let's give them a good hand as they go. If you'll come, you'll be all right. Just walk there for a few minutes. Amen, amen, amen. Give them a good God bless you as they go. God bless you. God bless you all. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Now, it's about three minutes past nine. Let me just give one more instruction before we go. If that's your friend back there, when you walk home or you talk to them over the next week or a few days, call them every day and pray and talk to them on the phone or in person. The more they pray and become familiar with the Holy Spirit and this part of His life in them, the more it'll grow and stay alive. So you be a good spiritual mentor and a good friend. Encourage them, read the scripture if you need to, and help them stay alive and walk in it. Amen? Because you all know how it was when some of you received the Holy Ghost. It was great, but he had questions and the devil came. And all, But you be the great soldier. And if it's your friend back there, just wait for him for a few minutes. They'll be out here. It's good. Amen? Everybody in England, I'm going to be born again in spirit-filled in Jesus' name. Do you believe that England can be saved? Do you believe that England can be spirit-filled? Put your hands on Let's thank God for that over England right now. Let's thank God for the revival in England. Thank God for the Holy Spirit coming and visiting hungry hearts and penetrating difficult territories. God send laborers to every place. Send laborers to the hungry hearts and let breakthrough happen. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.